I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Lacrimosa Diez Illa. This tearful day. The final section of the Sequencia in Mozart's Requiem Mass in D minor and, appropriately enough, the same tune that Leeds United chose to announce the release of the Lilac Kit. Little did the club know how portentous this choice of music would turn out to be less than six months later, when Marcelo Bielsa was fired by the club, prompting tears on a scale that Mozart himself, writing about the last judgement of humanity, would have found shocking. This is the All Stats Aren't We celebration of Marcelo Bielsa. The rise and fall of a great man, the like of whom will never be seen again. I'm John McKenzie, and I'm joined in the fetal position by Darren Driver and Tom Alderson. Darren, 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 speak to me, Darren. Oh, I'm really struggling. <laughs> I don't mind admitting I'm... I think the thing is, John, you know, when you've, when you've, and this feels a bit like a, like a, like a loss or a bereavement in some way. And I think it's harder when you, when you're not able to just let it out and express it. And, um, I know that some people have been very like open and, and, but over the weekend, I, I wasn't able to really follow what was going on. I wasn't able to watch the game. I was in, I was away in London with the family and I was just following everything that was happening, uh, over the weekend, um, from, from afar and felt very removed from it. And I think, Therefore, like the emotions that I've got around it feel a bit pent up. And uh, so it's going to be good to talk about this stuff with you guys tonight. Um, yeah, so I'm kind of, uh, you know, I've got, got some thoughts about processes and the club and the ownership and blah, 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 which is all, you know, perhaps not really relevant right now and doesn't really matter anyway because what's happened is what's happened. But but yeah, it's, it's a bit of a, it's a, it's a really desperately sad time. Um, you know, I, I really link like in a weird way and, and this is probably going to be the most like emotional thing I've ever said on the podcast. I really link Bielsa's reign at Leeds United with my like dealing with the death of my dad. So it's quite big shit, you know, <laughs> I'm sort of coping with the, in terms of like, now I might, you know, there's a, there's a whole process that needs to be gone through there. So, um, yeah, so it, it's, it's like big stuff and, and not just about football. Yeah. Tom, how about you? So this is the point in a podcast where if we'd have just got battered 5-0, I'd mention how it's always us three having to do this podcast. <laughs> and you know what? They're just going to be a walk in the park from now on, aren't they? Because we'll have done this one and everything will just seem so much easier. Because, yeah, it's it's not nice. I was I was a bit like Darren at the weekend. I, I went to the... I, I did go to the game, but then I um, came straight back across to Manchester and was out with my one of my mates all day up the rest of Saturday and Sunday. So kind of just following on my phone and just, just seeing what people, other people were saying. So, yeah, I'm just kind of the same place where I'm like, I don't think I've quite gone through it yet. So that'll be that'll be fun when it hits me. Maybe maybe I should just watch Take Us Home season two and just have a cry and just get just get through it. <laughs> the timeline was weird, wasn't it? Because obviously, and and this is something they mentioned on the Square Ball actually, how they went and did a, a response pod immediately, and then when they recorded their podcast today, they sort of felt guilty about the way that they'd felt at the end of that game. And for me, that's a big part of why this is tricky emotional situation on top of you know all of the stuff that that Darren was talking about that it's going to be there anyway it's that it's that we I feel 
having been at the game, that we were being duped by the club a little bit. Because everyone there on the part of the club knew that Bielsa was going. The players knew. Everyone at the club knew. Bielsa knew. And it feels as though that whole game was just a sham. And for me, I, I'm someone who is very much about beginnings and endings being like neat and tidy. I think that if you're, if, if the ending of his time had been a clean break at the end of the season and then we'd gone and looked for a new manager then, I think I would feel a lot happier about the whole situation. And I think for me, the overriding emotion, and this may be because I, as I wrote in the piece that I wrote, put out this weekend, I feel as though I almost already mourned Bielsa a little bit. So I'd got a little bit of the, the Bielsa mourning out of the way. But now I'm feel, felt I'm filled with a, a, a bit more of an emotion of annoyance and anger and frustration at the fact that it feels as though the club have taken away from us the ability to have that nice clean ending. Um, Agreed. And so, I, yeah, I think for me that's that that was what the overriding emotion that has been this weekend, and it was almost augmented by the fact that this weekend was actually like a lovely, sunny, balmy weekend, and it felt as though that almost added to the. To, to the emotion because it I don't know I, I I always have like a weird feeling on on wonderful sunny-ish days that you know something terrible is bound to happen uh, so this this sort of gloomy that maybe that's just me as a as, a, as the arch pessimist but um it, it, I felt as though I felt as though this weekend I've just been in like a bit of a dream state a bit of a trance um but anyway um do, let's talk about that that emotion then about Bielsa leaving right now because I think that's what we need to stress because there seems to be this ongoing binary amongst the fan base between suggesting that if you wanted Bielsa to go then it serves you right that he's gone Uh, because if you wanted Bielsa out you hate Bielsa and if you if you wanted to keep him in then you love him or if you love him then you'd want to keep him in and I think that's just an entirely unhelpful binary to to draw up because I do like Bielsa I do like his football I, I never fell out of love with the system itself i fell out of love with the results of the way that the 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 squad had gone causing the system to fail but i never fell out of love with with bielsa himself and i think that that's sort of where i'm at i feel as though we could accept that now is the time for bielsa to move on without wanting it to be done in the car crash manner in which it feels as though it's been done um so yeah what what do you two feel about about the the fact that it's happened at this point in time, I think, is the is the best place to start. I feel very strongly, and 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 I wish I'd have found a way to. Um, I wish I'd have found this way to say it because uh, we talked, didn't we? In the, in the, I think it was in um, the Man United review about um, about what we wanted to happen in the rest of the season, and I, I I kind of bumbled it a bit and sort of said, well, I felt like an ending was coming and actually what I, what I think I should have said and what I really meant was I think he deserved the opportunity to see the rest of the season out. I think he'd earned that opportunity and, um, and, and I, I really, I, I think for me, th- there's a kind of two sides to it. So there's the, the emotional side of he's done so much for the club. Um, he's, you know, kind of elevated the club and the city and taken things to to a much higher level, much further than whether we ever anticipated that these players could go, much much higher than we anticipated the club could go from the point that he joined. So from that emotional point of view, I felt like he'd earned the right to stay to the end of the season. But also, um, my personal view, and this is no... Um, slight on on Jesse March because I don't know anything about him really I have to be perfectly honest I don't know like I, I haven't got a view on how he'll do or how he won't do but but I but I do think that that removing Bielsa at this point in the season probably doesn't increase the chances of of the club surviving in the Premier League um and you know I I hope to be proven wrong about that of course but um but I, I I don't really see the logic that this improves our chances, and you know some of the early some of the early things that I've seen um, in terms of you know some of the stuff that you've done, John, um, makes me think that actually that the, the the sort of changes that we need are probably more to do with the playing staff than to do with the coach, and um, 
and the coaching is going to have enough similarities that it's going to co- it's going to have some of the same problems that Bielsa's stylistically had. So for me, unless the players have down tools, and I think there, you can see that there might be an argument that some of them have down tools and decided that they're not going to play for Bielsa anymore. Which in, and and I, I text my friend Jeppo about this, and you know said. It seems to me that the players have have done that. And his reply was very succinct. He said, players are always fuckwits. It's the owners I'm cross with. Um, And and I sort of of fall alongside that, really. I I think this could have been handled in a much more respectful, much more dignified way. And that, that he deserved to be treated in a more respectful and more dignified manner than the club have treated him in. I feel as though I spent a lot of this season just saying the gamble that we face under Bielsa is that we out... Which we seek to outcreate opponents, and what I can't get my head around is that we've just come off the back of games that we weren't expecting to win, and we've got rid of him at that point rather than at the end of a run of fixtures, maybe where you would hope to outcreate. Now there'll be people saying, "Well, you know, against Villa, Newcastle, and uh, and Everton, you would you would hope hope that, that well, you would claim that that would be the the run that, that did for him, but." Uh, <laughs> Villa, Villa are a good side, good players, um, and we got back into that game. I think the Newcastle game was unlucky. We did enough to win that game. Uh, and then the other one, yeah, okay, a poor result against Everton. And it feels as though that's sort of what's done it for him. And, and I would feel much more comfortable and confident going into the next run that we have with teams like Norwich and, and Watford in it to to try and get that upside of Bielsa again. I mean, I, I agree with you that this is, does look as though it's been forced by the players in some sense or it made them maybe a, a feeling that the dressing room has been lost and it in terms of I guess the ownership their worry is that if if we go down then you know after after keeping Bielsa then you always have that counterfactual of like what if we did change the coach um so I, I guess there's that as well but Tom I'm, what, what what's your take on this my annoyance is also with the ownership um just with the fact that he deserved, definitely deserved that time uh, to to sort of see it out in his in his own way, and I think by the sounds of it, he wouldn't have got he would he was leaving in the summer, whatever. Um, but he just did. I think he deserved that last day at Ellen Road, where we all say thank you, and like you, Angel, with like the nice clean ending. So yeah, I think I I can see the arguments for sacking him now. I was probably leaning that way to, towards after the after uh, the game on Saturday. I just I felt like there was just nothing really left. And yeah, my, my argument to you guys was going to be about how we haven't, even in games this year where we should have outcreated opponents, we haven't really. So yes, we've come off a, a hard run, but I just think that we've when we've we've kind of been saying that all year, like there's just there's just been there's just been something quite off all year, and you do always think that he might be able to do that, but. I just I don't think it's just this run of ten or eleven games where we've played all of the top seven or all the top eight that have sort of led to where we are now. But there's a, you can have an, an opinion either way on this, and I think you you can be right. I don't I don't think there's a wrong opinion on this. Um, my my main annoyance is with the club and just the way he's been handled because he just deserved so much more better so much better than he, what he got. Yeah, it's it's definitely a tricky situation to talk about without having a lot of the facts but um, I, I suppose for me the overriding thing is the fact that the club did leak replacements for him very early um, and whether or not that leak was intentional or not again it's speculation at my end but um, I do think that whatever you think of the player's response it does feel as though um, that that was the the sort of touchstone where everything started going wrong when that piece came out in the Daily Telegraph so um, again maybe that wasn't intentional maybe you know when you're when you have a big recruitment department and you're doing due diligence looking for a replacement which the club will be doing anyway um, there's always the possibility that this sort of stuff gets leaked indirectly um, but yeah we'll see I suspect that given that's been happening every season that we've had him probably and it hasn't leaked that there's probably something that, you know, there's no smoke without a fire, but um, we shouldn't talk about this miserable stuff for the whole time because uh, we are in fact going to spend the rest of the time just talking about our time with Bielsa as coach, focusing on the, the tactical side and the, and the, and the stat sides. Um, what I think what we'll do is we'll just break it down into four periods, uh, roughly correlating to the four seasons that we had with Bielsa. 
uh, and then we'll just talk about the, the the tactical side of things in a little bit more detail. So the, the first thing I've got written down here is just the beginning. And, and I think the, the, a good way of going about this is just talking about our first experience of Bielsa Ball at Leeds. So, um, yeah, Tom, do you want to talk about your first memory of, of Bielsa and Leeds and it being a good thing? I think for me and I'm probably... I know you, a couple of you went to the pre-season games, but for me it was it was the Stoke game, and I I was um I was actually on holiday and I was watching this um with my brother, and that this this moment will just stick stick with me forever. Um, just just watching that game and feeling like because like I've obviously I I became a Leeds fan when we were in League One, so Leeds United didn't play football like that um for me ever. So just just watching this game and just I'll. That first goal, I'll just it'll just that moment will just live with me forever. Just how, just like it just it just it changed the point that moment probably just changed the way I felt about Leeds United. So it was just I just yeah for a lot I imagine for a lot of fans like you'll just never forget that Stoke game ever because I just it was just amazing. Same. So um, linking back to what I said earlier on, like I didn't get to watch any of the preseason that year because my dad was in the hospice, so I was I was stuck in um, in Headingley for. Uh, you know kind of going through that process um for most of that summer and um it was the day after my dad died that I went down to Elland Road um with with um, my friend Jeppo who I just talked about and um and I remember walking down to Elland Road and kind of going what he's playing Kimar Roof and and fucking Liam Cooper again and kind of going you know I don't care how good a coach he is he ain't getting a tune out of those players kind of thing that kind of vibe um and then you know, and and I knew very little about him really. I mean, I'd watched I'd watched his Chile team in the in the in the World Cup previously, but I'd only just kind of drawn the link that that was the same guy. Like I, I I'm not somebody who has a lot of time to watch a lot of football beyond Leeds, so I kind of hadn't drawn that link. And then when I'd realised, I'd gone, oh, this is going to be at least it's either going to be a complete car crash or it's going to be super exciting and fun. Um, and then yeah, just getting into the stadium and just just like immediately from the kickoff, just realising how like we weren't in Kansas anymore that 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 that, that somehow he'd, he had in fact managed to get a tune out of these players not only a tune a really good tune and that 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 the team looked unified and I remember I remember saying to my mate um I really like this new 797 formation that he's that he's experimenting with because it just felt like we were just, just everywhere on the pitch we were, we were overloading Stoke everywhere that we were pressing them to oblivion that we were able to cut through them at will that we had lovely control that we were able to kind of you know create chances that we were able to create excitement and opportunities and I just from that from that moment really I just remember walking out of the stadium my my jaw was on the floor I just could not believe what I just watched and I remember at half time kind of just turning around to these guys behind me and going just like what the fuck have we just seen like is it going to be like this all season because if it is I'm going to be here every week um and it yeah just couldn't really couldn't believe it so from from that moment uh, in that season and then and then you kind of think well maybe that's a fluke maybe that's a bit of a fluke and then we go to derby the next week and just absolutely smash them off the park and obviously with, you know, even in the early days of of the Lampards, with him, with him stood there looking... Com- like, I remember, I've got a distinct memory, Lampard stood on the touchline with his arms folded, wearing exactly the same facial expression he used to wear when he couldn't work out what was going wrong in England's midfield. Um, and it was just beautiful, and I really loved it and enjoyed it. Um, so, yeah, th- those two early weeks, like, are uh, particular um, high points even now. Yeah, it's funny thinking back to that time, because... I mean, being the dweeb that I am, I I knew a lot about Marcelo Bielsa, and he was at that point one of my favourite coaches. In so far as like I was in, really interested in the, the tactical side of things, so when the news broke and and everyone was starting to realise that actually this was happening, uh, I was obviously already quite invested in it. And um, it, it, for me, for me, the first game actually was the Las Palmas game. Um, that was the 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 only pre-season game I think we had at Elland Road potentially it was certainly the only uh, pre-season game that we had where Bielsa actually fielded a team similar to what he was going to field uh, from that point onwards and um, yeah not you know being the hipster that I am not wanting to follow the mainstream that that for me was the first um, the, the <laughs> first that, that's my um, you know the moment at which we moved from you know before Bielsa to in the year of our Lord um, 
and it, in talking about the end, the, the openings and, and, and the closings, the, uh, the, the conclusions and that, that neat book ending, I was weirdly, I was sat in the cop that day for, for the last Palmas game. And I just remember, I, I remember having had conversations with my dweeb friends about Bielsa and a lot of them saying, yeah, well, you know, it's, it's a, it's, it's a, a real, coin toss with Bielsa with what you get you know we we don't know what he's going to do with a championship squad your squad isn't good enough to do anything or amount to anything um, and so for for me there was there was definitely been there had definitely been like damage limitation before that um, this sort of um, recognition that you know this could go horribly wrong and we'd, we'd had that pre-season as you said where we, we fielded just lots of youth players when he was trying to work out who was what and wh- who was going to play in, in what situation and it was only that last Palmas game where we we got the first view of what Bielsa ball was going to look like and um I remember sitting in the cop and and uh, you know having the same experience that a lot of other people had at, at Stoke I remember people sitting around getting frustrated that the team weren't just beating it out of the back as soon as they got possession and stuff like that um and and just thinking I just remember thinking to myself this this is going to work you know this is this could be a thing we could be quite good uh, and then like you say it, it, it sort of going it going onwards and it was it weirdly to, to go back to the conclusion uh, I was lucky enough to Dan Dan Holsworth friend of the pod, podcast uh, lent me a season ticket and he's in the cop um, and little did I know that that was almost in the same area actually as where I was sat for the last Palmas game but little did I know that that, that was going to be you know the sort of book ending for me was watching that first game at Las Palmas to that game at, at, against Spurs at the end where everything went wrong but um in terms of that first season, then, um, what are the abiding? I guess the abiding memory is you know sort of playing pretty well, and then falling away at the end, um, and that was the first season where we had to deal with the, the sort of Bielsa burnout stuff. Um, and I think it's it's important to remember that you know that second season was it was emotional in a negative sense as well uh, with the, the way that it ended and you know the, those last four games where you know I think we if we'd have won all was it if we won all last all, all the four last games we would have been promoted but we ended up picking up one point or something that's from, right yeah yep. um, so yeah what's what's our take on that Darren what's your take on the, the sort of conclusion of that first season yeah f- uh, I suppose for me it really started to fall apart at the point at which um Saez left in that season because I, I know that he hadn't been playing he hadn't been playing in the first team um but but I really felt that that with with him and uh, and Pablo in the team that that we were just going to be too much for most opponents um and I just felt like that that after Saez went that I mean even to this day probably we haven't really <laughs> properly replaced him um but but that that I felt we would really create struggle to create particularly more central areas or or in the half spaces where he him and Pablo liked to drift into on on each side um so I I really sort of started to struggle with the season from that point forward and and obviously like we the other thing that's that's notable about that season is that it was the first time that we experienced the kind of absolute um deluge of injuries that Bielsa's football tends to bring and and there, there were a lot I mean I think people forget but there were there were an incredible number of injuries in that season and we lost an incredible number of games to injury uh, in that season so I think there was a there was a combination of things and then obviously um you know we tried to address some of the things tried to bring Dan James in for the first time um and and ended up bringing um Kiko Kassir in and just really never feeling you know towards the end of that season uh, it was just one of those times when a bit like now really where where you go into games and you think, right, let's just stay in this game. Let's let's try and nick the first goal. Let's and and just knowing that we were going to concede the first goal, and or or even if we did get the first goal, that, that the, in the Wigan case, that the opposition were going to equalise. And 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 I, I think you started to see some of the some of the tactical weaknesses start to come out at that point. So if you think about the Wigan game, we we really noticed that direct running start to start to cause us some problems and start to unpick the man marking a little bit and obviously you can put a marker down there are probably other games where that happened but I think for me that was the first time where I where I went this could be a real problem if teams really latch onto this then then they could cause us real problems and and you know most teams didn't even in the following season but um but yeah just a kind of real a real sadness that we that we didn't manage to make it up but actually I I um I think it was the right time I think I think it was wasn't the right time to go up, so I would I, I think the, the the club needed that extra season of development under Bielsa, 
Um, but yeah, really interesting to look back on that season and, and think think about you know some of the things that, that went wrong towards the end of that season and how they might sort of provide clues to how things might go even more wrong in the fullness of time. Yeah, no, I, I do think that's that's interesting. And in terms of like the development so, developmental side of things, we actually spent uh, an hour and a half yesterday in the Patreon, uh, sorry, in the Discord channel, watching the Stoke game back. Um, and it was fa- fascinating for me actually watching that game back because I haven't watched it since. Um, right, weirdly, I just haven't have, have ever got around to doing it. And it is very much paired back Bielsa. It's like there's not, it's not the Bielsa ball that we came to to see, particularly at the beginning of the second season, which we'll jump onto in a bit. Um, but yeah, I, I suppose it's it's funny that I think for me one of the things that stands out is that we've sort of evolved with. Bielsa at Leeds as well and the sort of things that we take for granted now you know they weren't there at the beginning and I think that's a sort of fascinating aspect to, to all of this as well yeah but even with that the, the leap from Heckingbottom like I was at the last Heckingbottom game which was a really boring 2-0 win against QPR so even though it was a pared down version of Bielsa ball it's in, it was just on a came from a different planet to what we'd watched you know even six weeks before how about you Tom what your sort of takeaways from the way that that season developed the sort of the standout points of that season, obviously the the beginning when it's all new. Then is that there's that period over Christmas. Um, it's like there's the the Villa game uh, where we were two 0 down and came back to win three two, and then the Blackburn. I think was it like three days later or something like that. Um, but then there was like there was quite a few problems around then. Like we played Forest and went down to ten men, and that was sort of a little bit of a bumpy patch. But it was definitely I know the first time I was kind of worried about was. And I think like this might just be me looking in hindsight, but it was that Sheffield United game because whilst um, whilst they were, it wasn't anything sort of particular like the problems they caused us or anything. It was just the fact that there was another team in it. Like we'd lost to Norwich before that, and then we just lost to Sheffield United, and that was the point where I was like a bit. I kind of had my concerns, and then they never really went away. Um, obviously, like Sheffield United were good defensively that's how that's how they got up but it was just a very it was just different to what the way we were trying to get up um so yeah it was it was kind of from there that I was kind of worried and I just that that whole run in I just I just felt sick watching every, every single game um I do I do agree with you Darren though I think it was definitely whilst in, in uh, at the time it was just completely but like gutting that we didn't go up uh, through those playoffs it was definitely the right it definitely made us better when we did come up um, if you think of like we had Casilla in net, and then we had we we've got Melier now, stuff like that. Um, just another year of improving under Bielsa. It, it's it's interesting that you talk about the evolution of Bielsa of Leeds as Bielsa kind of evolved as well. Because uh, like we're going to come on to soon It's just that that I think the way we played in that the second season probably helped us um, last year. Um, it just there was quite. A, there's definitely more similarities than with like Bielsa's first season so I think it was definitely a good thing that we didn't go up when we did and then that next season began with that run of seven games that I guess we it's like the holy grail of Bielsa ball for us yeah (laughs) yeah it was the it was the that period before Forshaw got injured and uh, Leeds had given a good enough account of themselves in the previous season that teams playing against them were just sitting deep and trying to hold them out and hit them on the break and um, yeah in that seven seven games although we didn't win all of those games we absolutely crushed teams in terms of chance creation um, and you know I guess I guess I was at least in seventh heaven it was it was great so yeah Tom thoughts on that on that second season you've suggested there that that there was that maybe an an improvement that was the result of the fact we were given another year in the championship. Um, I suppose you could, you could view that as, you know, there was the opportunity for everything to fall apart, but it didn't. But um, clearly that, that season was, was pretty comfortable really uh, in the end. I don't know about you guys, but I think the majority of the fan base was actually quite worried about that second season before the first game. Cause um, what Janssen had left, um, there was, there was someone else back, but I can't remember. But oh, I think Roof leaving and like Bamford had really hadn't shown anything in that first year. Um, and the fact that, that that first game away at Bristol, we just came out and just completely battered them. But like, n- not battered them in the sense that we did in that first year, in like the first game against Stoke and, um, and against Derby. Like we battered them, but like they just they did nothing. And we it was like a, one of the most comfortable wins we've had. 
Um, so yeah, it is interesting to look back and think how nervous we were. Cause we had to, really we didn't we didn't have any reason to be, and just watching Ben White play just um, eased me about about worrying about um, worrying about Janssen going straight away. So yeah, it was it that that first half like would do. My memory of those first seven games is just the fact that we did create so many chances, and they that. The opposition never felt like getting a look in. Like I was never ever worried about us losing or even really conceding. And it was that was when we've we've always talked about like Forshaw, Click, and Phillips in midfield. And I just think it's when we had the, it was the most controlled version of Bielsa Ball. And I think that's why we loved it so much. Did, what did you make of that season, Darren? In terms of, I know that we did have a few sort of blips where obviously there was the ailing interview that was given after uh, was it Forest? Yeah, Forest yeah, away. Forest. Yeah, and then again there was the there was the. Lock the the COVID lockdown uh, and and return after that and people losing their heads a little bit with the what felt like the inevitable march of Brentford up the table as well. What, what was your takeaway from the rest of that season? I think by and large we you know we although we um you know really heavily controlled those first seven games. I think we still controlled the majority of games after that. I think I think teams got a bit smarter about um about playing us in that second season. So I think I think. By and large, teams became more defensive, whereas I think in the first half, the first season rather, quite a few teams felt they could come and have a go at us and have a and and I think, but I think that and that forced us to play, or or maybe that meant that we could play in a more transitional way, which which you know we were very transitional in that first season, particularly. Then in the second season, it was more about control because teams were sitting back, and it became more about could we pick the lock, and in those first seven games, more often than not, we could. Um, and then you know there were there were different spells and there was like you say there was a what seven seven or eight game spell perhaps leading up to Forest where it was like a win a couple of draws a defeat a defeat a couple of draws and that that did did feel more difficult but um, I always felt that we were still the best team in the division uh, from that point and that it was just a matter matter of things coming coming back together again now. I, I always wonder about this mythical talk that Bielsa gave after the Forest game where he pointed out everything that the players had done right in that game because on my viewing of that game I couldn't see anything that the players had done right because I thought it was a really truly awful performance one of the few from that season but but from the from the point after that Forest performance I just don't think it was ever ever in doubt you know we, we um, Luke Aylin obviously showed a tremendous amount of responsibility and determination to drag the team over over the over the line and and once it got to the covid lockdown it was really about you know using pablo wisely making sure that we brought him on when we needed him to get results but other than that trying to keep him out of the team um and those first um those lockdown games not the not the cardiff one obviously that we lost but the rest of them and particularly once it became really clear that we were going to be promoted i just found really joyful particularly like i've got a really fond memory of that stoke one where we just pulled their legs off for, for a laugh um, it's just, and I, I know there was nothing riding on that game really for us. Uh, well, I mean, we were going for promotion, but we were so much better than them that it was. It was just one of the most fun experiences I've ever had watching football in in my house, thinking like, oh, this this you know, like football's probably not. We're going to go to points per game, blah blah blah. Not two weeks earlier or whatever, and then just watching us dismantle a team on telly, um, and just just feeling so grateful for. For, for what that team had managed to put together that season but but really you know I think we were, we were clearly the best team in the division over the course of those two seasons um, and it was ju- you know it was just just rewards for Bielsa sticking to sticking to things because there were times in that season when people were going oh we should you know we shouldn't fanny about at the back so all the usual stuff that you hear you know uh, Bielsa's lost the dressing room like halfway through the season when just before the Forest game and you know it was just reward for sticking to those principles and it was the first time really when, that he was questioned was halfway through that season when we when we were you know we were, when it, when the question of should we continue to play in this way should we be a bit more direct should we whatever it whatever it might be and just the first time hearing him say those kind of things about well if I change my principles how can I expect the players to believe what I say and all that kind of stuff and just kind of really starting to understand the man in in in, in that adversity and how he would go about the things interesting to hear you say that all those games are joyful because I don't remember the Barnsley game being oh particularly my gosh. joyful oh, yeah, maybe, maybe not that one maybe not that one <laughs> And the Swansea one was pretty stressful too. Or 90 minutes of the Swansea game. <laughs> I knew we were going to win that one though, so I just had one of those feelings. Um, I, th- <laughs> I think mostly I'm thinking about the Stoke game and the, the Charlton game, which was just, just fun. And the Derby game was also a lot of fun. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Yeah, of course, and that obviously brought us up into the Premier League. And yeah, I suppose we we all know what happened in the Premier League. We had a had a really good season. Um and yeah, maybe maybe we should talk a, a little bit about that season because it does feel as though we sort of went from being very comfortable in the Premier League in the first season to being not very comfortable in this season. So I'd be interested to hear your takes on on the the Premier League um, season itself, Darren. Yeah, it was interesting because like I don't really like the Premier League as a setup, um, and and I had I sort of had mixed feelings about being involved. Obviously, like I wanted Leeds to be there. Um, but but I was a bit like oh fucking hell we're gonna we're now gonna have to deal with all the Premier League nonsense and and and, and VAR and blah 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 all that boring stuff that we don't really want to talk about. Um, but yeah, we were promised a swashbuckling attacking team that would that would go and take it to Premier League teams, and I think for about two thirds of the season that's what we got. And you know there were some some amazing games in there that that. Um, that I'll really hang on to, um, and I know we're going to come on to talk about some of some of that stuff later. But, but yeah, I, you know, like the first game away at Liverpool was obviously great, and then um, the, the the City game at home was incredible. The Everton away game, the Villa away game, and and you know, against some of these teams, we were going up against great teams, we were going up against established teams, we were going up against poor teams, but we were giving them all a game. Um, and there were periods in the in the season that I think it's important to remember that you know this season season has been difficult and this last run has been difficult but in that season you know we went through that spill where, spell where we lost 4-1 to Leicester and then 4-1 to um, Palace in consecutive weeks so it wasn't all roses but I did feel that we were that we were able to create a decent amount of chances against most teams and give them really competitive games and be a lot of fun to watch and um you know, and I I felt confident that we would go into that season and do well for a number of reasons. Um, but for me, the 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 fun part of the season was the bit before we started getting consistently good results, which was the last third of the season, because I just felt we were more fun in those first two thirds. Um, and I, I I really enjoyed the fact that we just went, well, come on, we'll have a go. And and uh, and and I felt to a degree that we stopped doing that towards the end of that season albeit we did get better results so maybe it's justified Tom what are your memories of of last season in particular yeah very similar to Darren like we just it was just a re- really really fun first half of the year just like even just it set the tone on the opening day when we go you go to Anfield and lose 4-3 like that, that's proto teams aren't supposed to do that but Leeds did and that's that's what we, we whenever we were we're outside the um when we were in the championship under Bielsa, it was always speaking to fans of other teams. It was always about, oh, we'll come up and we'll, we'll give it a go, and we're just like, we'll we will play that style of football in the Premier League, and I'd we'll just love to see if it adapted. And the fact that it did was just sort of special. It, it, it was also because it was such a difficult time with it all being behind closed doors that it just to still get the enjoyment out of it that we all did was was really just really nice and of like. When the, the two it's the two Man City games that stick out for me because like, I'm 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 quite a big Guardiola fan so the fact that Bielsa and Leeds went at Man City in the first game especially where I just, we were I genuinely think we were the better team even um even though it ended up in a draw but yeah that just just a win at the Etihad against against the best team in England and potentially Europe was just absolutely it was just absolutely mental and like like I said like Premier um, Pre- Promoted teams or like teams like Leeds aren't supposed to do that, so it was just just an amazing experience and just made a difficult time really much much better. 
we obviously have to talk about the decline and we've been on record talking about how the decline began at the end of that last season or at least uh, I, I hope we made it clear that we'd varianced up and a bit of variance down would lead us to, into some problems so yeah Tom what's your sort of take on how things change because I, I guess maybe we were a little bit insulated from how quite how vertiginous the drop was because we had been talking about these things uh, but it was still I think fairly shocking when it came right yeah it was like it Josh in particular in the summer did say like oh if I lo- like this is probably not quite as gone as well as it has like the recruitment and stuff like that but we just need all these things to not go wrong and that it will be fine but it just it did and that's just that's just football sometimes but it's this this has only just come to me now but it's it's you, it's interesting you talk about like the change and how it became sort of less fun when Dallas went to that zonal um, zonal style of play, and I just wonder if that's like that little adaption away from sort of it's the first time we've seen Bielsa sort of bend his sort of principles a bit to um, after quite because he was quite heavily criticised by the media after um, before that, and it's the first time you've seen him sort of bend, and I just wonder if that was the beginning of the end but like we didn't notice it at the time because the results were still good they were probably our best run of results of the year um but i'd be interested to hear what you guys think on that because it's just a just a thought i've had now really i mean we did talk about it in terms of things change you know we did we did note the change last season i don't think we noticed it as you know in 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 terms of, a, of the beginning of an end but i think if you, if you think about how rigidly bielsa had stuck to his principles before that and and how he had said many times that if he changed, then the players might stop believing what he said. Then maybe maybe there is something in that. Maybe maybe going a bit bit more defensive and and you know against Man United at home, actively playing a low block for most of that game, um, may have may have had an influence. Um, but yeah, I think I think it is an interesting interesting thing to to think about. And you know, I think I think this season things that went right for us before things look that we'd had in various situations have gone like actively the other way so I, I i don't think we've stopped having luck i think we've we've moved into having bad luck and that's part of how variance works um and i'm you know totally accept that um you know and, and i know that we've sort of said um that that you know part of managing the squad to manage injuries would have would have been a would have been a sensible thing to do, and I I agree with that because I think this year Bielsa's small squad has really come home to roost and has really kind of made things challenging for us. Um, but overall, I think it's just more to do with the fact that for whatever reason, and we've talked in all the podcasts this season about the reasons and if you if I guess if listeners want really really in-depth versions of that they can listen to all the podcasts this season and can hear us talking about why the system's not worked but but for whatever reason the system hasn't worked probably because the press I think I think a lot of our defensive problems have come from the fact that we haven't been able to pin teams back in quite the way that we have or make them panic and lose the ball in the way that we used to be able to do and whether that's because teams have been able to adapt or whether it's because players haven't the players haven't been able to meet the demands of Bielsa's press or whether the the structure of the unification and the kind of going together of the press hasn't been there for whatever reason that bit hasn't worked so we haven't been able to keep teams deep which meant that we haven't been able to make as many chances through winning the ball high up the pitch as we would ordinarily do and which has meant that it's ex- exposed the defensive weaknesses of Bielsa's system so I think I think you've seen a lot of things that went right last year and the year before and the year before that have sort of you know come apart at the seams this year and I think it's been, it's been perfectly obvious that something isn't right uh, in in the playing squad um, and that it's been obvious to me for some time that we were seeing an ending but I just didn't anticipate that the ending would come so quickly or so suddenly, um, and and I, th- I thought that we would, you know, we'd probably get a few points out of the next few games, and 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 that would be that. But I think I think it, I, I never anticipated that the drop off would be quite as severe as it has been this year. Um, I thought that we would finish a few places below where we did last season, and we could call that a job well done and rebuild in the summer. But um, it seems that that's not going to be the case after all. Well, let's quickly talk just about the overall, um, I guess, broad brushstroke aspects of Bielsa's football, um, and and 
try and make this sort of a big picture thing because I think part of the issue we have is that we borrow down so to, into the minutiae every week and so sometimes it's you know you can forget what the big picture looks like so let's start off with the ball um, and have a little bit of a think about because I, I feel as though the the on-ball stuff has changed a lot in the last four seasons and particularly this season I've been very outspoken in my dislike of the way that we're playing um, and I I think that was definitely a this season thing I don't think we were um, quite so bad last season in terms of what we were doing with the ball uh, and, and certainly previous seasons not um, there's obviously that the aspect that as we've said season one was quite transitional season two wasn't because we were so dominant uh, and in basically in season two we were we were the Manchester City of the championship that no one could get near us and, and, and we were just smashing everyone in terms of chance creation and, and, and at the other end of the pitch conceding chances so um, there's definitely always going to be that that change but I'd be interested to hear you, your guys thoughts on the, the, the with the ball side of things in terms of where we've ended up and where we've been uh, in particular so yeah who wants to kick off on this so I think it, it, it does kind of come back to what we said earlier is like how we evolved as a team like that that first year was the definitely it was very transitional but like it felt transitional with a purpose rather than what kind of felt this year like transitional but just on vibes like it just we would we were transitional but like because there didn't seem to be the thought behind it whereas in that first year that's what it always felt purposeful when we we were doing it um and then like like you said that second year we went more controlling playing playing just dominating possession and i think what we saw last year is we could we kind of just could do both like the the game suited we could play that the traditional um attacking play that we needed if it was mainly against the big teams but if we needed to control possession we could still do it and it's that's where you probably saw the the two come together and like i touched on just before then like just this year it just it felt like there's just no purpose to what the attacking play was like they didn't we've said quite a lot on podcast this year like they just the, the structure just kind of went so that 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 was kind of the annoyance with this year is like he just it, there wasn't the purpose there that we saw in all three previous seasons even though there was like differences between those purpose each year it just it didn't seem to be there anymore uh, I think there's been quite a big difference between in in, in the Premier League because I don't I mean even last season I don't think you saw as many of the um, standard automations that we used to run in the Championship happening so you you would see. You know, there would be certain patterns that you would see happening in the championship maybe five or six times in a game um, and that, that we would keep trying those same things until the, until they worked. And I just don't I don't feel like we've been able to do that as much um, in, in the Premier League. But um, I, I've really enjoyed watching the, you know, the kind of development of it from that from that season one where it was a combination of, yeah, we were playing transitionally. And part of that was about moving the ball quickly. Part of it was about giving the ball to Saez central and deep and letting him run the ball up the pitch and 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 sort of doing that that element of it and then you know from the second season seeing more of the the structured possession patterns start to come out and really really enjoying watching those and that those kind of third man runs and 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 lovely one twos and 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 things that we that we played a lot in that championship season and, and really kind of by the end of the, by the end of that season been really able to predict what we, what we were going to be able to do and been really kind of okay I'm, I'm glad to see that and I'm sure oppositions could had plans for how to deal with those things too but it's like you know everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the nose kind of um, vibes that we were doing in that season then you know last season I felt like it was a bit more of a return to maybe some of the structures from the I think we were a bit more transitional last year and that, that you know we came up against teams who wanted to stop us in wide areas and we never really found a way around that except can we beat them in a wide area? Um, and but but I think you know we definitely did enough last season um, to yeah to, to to kind of hold the value of, of what we were doing. But this season, I feel like I feel like in all four seasons we've we've risked the ball a lot, and that's a really key part of Bielsa's possession stuff. Is that we're gonna, we're going to take risky passes and we're going to pass close to the opposition, but but we are going to make sure that we maintain possession. And I feel like this season, what's been different is that we've gone from risking the ball to wasting the ball. And that that's just felt like a really, you know, that that some of the passes have been so speculative, and so um, so risky that that the that the percentage chance of them coming off has been so low as to not make them worthwhile as as things to do. So I think that has been one of the things that I've really lamented this year is that I've I've not felt that 
often enough we were going to be able to create anything by holding the ball. It was just going to be, can we create something by giving it to Rafinha and letting him do something? Or can we get somebody's pace in behind or or whatever? So I think that has been very different. Yeah, it's it's really hard to judge a lot of this stuff for me because not only do you have the issue that we went up a division, you also have the issue that that with Bielsa, there's a question of whether or not the slow decline through time is the result of people, quote-unquote, finding out the system um, or whether or not it's just a natural corollary of not updating your squad in, in a sufficient way and having a small squad. So I find it really tough to to sort of judge where where the the fault lines sort of lie in in this sort of debate about the change in system because even just watching back to early so for example I've I've watched a fair amount of our early Premier League games and the press in the early Premier League was so much snappier than it was or is now that I I can't help but wonder whether or not the the system still has function or whether or not the system is is you know the reason why we are now struggling and like we'll, we'll go on to talk about the off ball stuff in a minute but I, th- I do think the the on ball stuff is similar in this respect because I do feel as though we've ended up being forced to play a an on ball system which doesn't really suit the players so much because of um, because of the the signings that we did and the the um, the various choices that we made in recruitment I don't know if either of you two would agree with that but we definitely went from I guess last season being you know competent in possession and running routes and and creating goals in a certain way to um, not being able to create in quite the same in quite the same way the same is true with the press to be honest like it felt as though our high press was much snappier last season as I've said and it's meant that this season the only real sort of counter pressing we've done has been in deeper areas Um, and I wonder if either of you think that um, you know the system is still salvageable I mean it's a it's a completely hypothetical question now right uh, but like do you still believe in the system or do you think that the system was always sort of on its way out and and so you know the the end had to come regardless i think i think to answer that question you'd have to answer your you'd have to pinpoint the reasons why wouldn't you if, like cuz yeah i think i feel i feel like to answer that question i, I would need to understand what it is that stopped it working and because because that's so complex because it's to, you know possibly to do with a small squad plus possibly to do with you know injuries possibly to do with going up a level possibly to do with this possibly to do with that i think it is really difficult to go like this yeah to 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 answer it i guess my my hunch is that 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 the system might work with a fresh group of players i th- and and but but like we're not going to get that, so you know, and 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 a, and a group of players who haven't had the same messages drilled into them for nearly four years. I think that I think there might be a bit of that in it as well. So, I, you know, I think I I don't think Bielsa's system inherently won't work in modern football. I guess is what I'm getting at. I just think that that with with this group of players at this club at this moment, I'm not sure like how salvageable it would be in the longer term. I think in the short term, it might have been salvageable enough to get us through to the end of the season. For me, it kind of comes down to the recruitment when we got promoted because one thing we've always we kind of said was that if you've got the 11 players that we had when we got promoted and just if you want to keep playing this Bielsa style of football you just you would buy the better version of Matthias Clicker you buy the better version of Luke Ailey and you keep doing that and the thing with like signings and not just Rodrigo but using Rodrigo as an example is like he was a worse he, he probably was a worse player for our system he's inherently a better player than those players that were playing in midfield or up front but he was a worse player for our system so you have either got to adapt Rodrigo to the system or adapt the system. So, and like Rodrigo is never going to do that. So then that's like sort of when the system starts to break. So I think that's for me. And like that's it's not the only thing. Like this to say, like there's the small squad. There's just other factors going against you. But I think the players that we bought on promotion kind of meant that the we needed to change the system to. To a point where, where, like, it just is never going to work as the same way as it did in in the championship. Let's move on just to talk a little bit about the 
the off-ball stuff to to end with because obviously a lot of people have fallen out with man marking in the last in the latter days of Marcelo Bielsa. Um, what again? I, I've I've already said that I think this, the the pressing last season was much more functional, and I suspect my take on this is that what we've seen has been a, a, a gradual physical decline of the squad um, to a point where it's not able to press in the way that it was. Um, I wonder. I wonder if you guys would agree with that, Tom. What, what's your sort of take on the man marking system? Do you do you find it something that that sort of angers you in in a way that it does some fans, or is it something that you just kind of think, well, you know, it was a, it was a gamble that was taken. It's part of the system, and uh, you know, I'm I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm happy to accept that that was what it was. I think for me, the like man marking was good in the championship or against teams that are like the same level as you, um, because it kind of is something different and it. Unless, like, what, what, what the problem with it is when it goes to you playing it against teams like Man City or Liverpool, is that man for man, those players are better. So they can just, all it takes is for one player to beat, beat the man marking system, and then you're going to cause problems all over the place with the off ball stuff. Whereas in the Championship, there was very rarely players that could do that, so it wasn't a, a problem as much. And against lower, le- uh, lower level Premier League sides, like, it can be. They only have like the, the one individual that kind of it can be mitigated. It can cause problems. So I think for me, for me, like what we saw in the championship wasn't was like we needed it, the man marking to kind of do that. I don't think it could have been done any other way. But I, I don't think it. There's a reason it's not as as prevalent in like the top European leagues of the top sides because I just don't think it's it's right once you get to the higher levels. Yeah, I don't know where to stand on this because I, I think. I think you probably can't man mark to the degree that we do if your press isn't working because I just I just don't I just because I, I think if you can't get pressure on the ball quickly enough or pressure on the man on the ball quickly enough that's going to give them time to you know kind of um turn or put a foot on it or find a space or find a gap or find another player and it's going to going to give the opposition chance to get good runs off whereas I think in that first season we were so quick to kind of put pressure on the ball that, that uh, very often the decisions that the opposition made were rushed or hurried and and they hadn't got chance to kind of get their attacking plays in any sort of position but I think this season because the because the press hasn't worked as well um that's yeah we've just given we've just given too many good players too much time and too much space and I think that's what's really exposed the man marking system so you know it was it was at first we'd go well you know center back stepping out can be a bit of a problem but we're able to kind of manage that by xyz and then we'd go well actually that that really creative player that they've got he's now able to get into space and and turn and find like if you think about what Coutinho did um in the center circle or near the center circle of the week he you know him being able to kind of create that moment in in an area where he was able to um isolate Luke Aylin and turn him meant that then they were able to get good runners off into place and I just think that that yeah if you're not able to get the sort of pressure in that stops those good players getting the ball which is primarily what we used to do then it it, it is incredibly difficult to kind of stick with a man marking system and when you go to something which is a bit blockier and I said this a few times on the podcast when you go something a bit blockier like we have done recently where we've, been, we've sat more central in the middle third of the pitch if you if you stick with man marking in that situation that feels suicidal to me because you're just a Allowing the opposition to clear space for people to run into, um, because they 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 move their players wide, they pull our defensive midfielder out of the way, and then they just they're just exposing and running straight at the back four. So, um, I think I think that has that has really been been a problem. So, but man marking inherently, I don't have an issue with. I actually quite like it because it means that you, you're able to pinpoint whose responsibility things were. You're able to chase things down. You're able to get good players up against good markers up against good players. Um, so I, I I actually inherently don't have a problem with it because it, it you know it, it did work for three years as all of this did. Um, it's just it's just that this season for whatever reason it hasn't worked quite as well. The good news is that we never feasibly need to talk about man marking again. So farewell man marking. You were our constant companion for four years, <laughs> and here we are at a, a new age. We'll have no more of us just like with a notepad writing down the opposition's formation, then go right minus one up front, minus plus one, and then try to work out what formation we're playing. So it's be oh yeah, we we, we play this formation now. It's I'm gonna miss that. We never did get those formation t-shirts made. No, maybe now's the time. We basically were able to absolutely nail every formation 
in preview pretty much every every week like occasionally you would have um uh, some sort of weird tweak on the part of the opponent but it was pretty good for for preview material wasn't it the the man marking system and that we knew exactly what was going to happen we now go into a brave new world of having to work out what formation the coach will play on the basis of not very much and that coach is jesse marsh who has been announced on a deal i think three three point five years um an assistant of john toshak's son cameron toshak so uh, a very strange appointment about which i am going to find something out as soon as i get off this podcast but i think that we're going to have plenty of stuff going out in the next week i've already put out a video looking at jesse marsh so that's on the patreon if you want to check that out uh, it's a 30 minute video just giving you the broad brush strokes of what to expect from jesse marsh ahead of the weekend josh and i will be recording a podcast talking through a lot of this stuff as well and that will be going out i think we'll put that free to air as well on wednesday ish so yeah keep an eye out for that um, but i think before we end this i guess end of an era so podcast to end an era it would be good to focus on maybe favorite moments favorite memories favorite aspects of marcelo bielsa um just to close out so who wants to kick off tom do you want to kick off with a with a favorite memory or something that you will take away from the last four seasons of marcelo bielsa there's just so much and i feel like i'm not going to do him justice and i'm going to feel bad at the end of it but um so the moment that got to be the the pablo goal that that was just it just when we knew we were up that even like we, it wasn't confirmed, but like you just knew then, didn't you? And then that that whole sort of week after we confirmed promotion, because when you were seeing like videos of him like um, hugging the players and celebrating with the players, and I don't think we'd ever really seen him like that before. But like him just sort of relaxing, and he's like, "The job's done. I can just enjoy this time." And he just he just seeing videos all week of him just like hugging fans and saying well done he's just saying thank you and he just had a smile on his face the whole time the players were just like clapping him into training and I think that that will be that week of promotion and Bielsa will be my takeaway or my memory of him that's that's how I I will want to remember him but for me it's more what he did was more than the football and the the football is secondary to what he did because he just kind of united the club once again or for for me, like the first time in my time supporting Leeds, like they felt a connect between the city of Leeds, the supporters of the club, the actual football club, and it just it was just a really nice time just to have a manager that was just didn't do all the shit that other football players and managers do. So it it was just fucking brilliant, wasn't it? And I'm gonna I'm gonna miss him to bits. So yeah, the Stoke game is will always stand out, um, and. That giving me something to positive, something positive to focus on at a time when I was really struggling was really was really amazing. Um, yeah, the the City game at Elland Road last year, which in my head is um, had fans in it and was a rocking Elland Road, even though it was played in front of an empty stadium. But like in my, I visualise it with a full crowd in for some reason. I think yeah, I'm going to mention Spygate because I really enjoyed that. That not, not oh, that PowerPoint. Really oh man, <laughs> that PowerPoint was amazing. And 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 anyway, I just thought it was a first class piece of Leeds United villainy, and 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 I loved it forever. Um, but but the 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 one moment, and I'm starting to fill up a bit now. Uh, the one moment that I will um always remember is the trophy lift um uh, after the Charlton game, which just like fills me with so much joy every time I um every time I every time I see a picture of it or think about it just seeing that kind of unbridled happiness and contentment and fulfillment and the way that he wanted he didn't actually want to lift the trophy he wanted to stand back and let his players take it which is just typical um so that that is the the moment um that I will always remember um from from him and I'm just incredibly grateful for the um, for the last few years it's been great to remember that I actually quite like football because I hated it for a long time before Bielsa came on board Tom I've been a fan since 89 and a lot of it has been really shit um, including those league one years so just just grateful for him reconnecting me with a sport that um, that I really loved for a lot of my childhood yeah it, obviously I echo all of those memories we could we could talk about many different things there um but I will just echo the the fact that you know he did remind a lot of people that football is about more than simply the sum of its parts, not simply on the pitch. We saw that happen. We saw a bunch of let's face it, 
very average footballers become so much more than just a bunch of average average footballers. But I think also at the level of the club, we saw a lot of people recognise that, and thanks to Bielsa, that, that there are things that are more important than, you know, that the, at the end of the day, winning football games, there's there's so much solidarity amongst the people in the fan base and bringing families together. I will always value the fact that me and my dad could watch football. He reignited love of football for my dad and he, he really enjoyed that and I'll always value that. And even you guys, it, 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 we wouldn't have all stats, aren't we, without without Marcelo Bielsa. And, um, you know, that's another, for me, community that makes the watching of football so much more enjoyable as well. So I think we will all be echoing for the rest of our lives uh, that that pian of thanks to Marcelo Bielsa for reminding us what football is all about, both on the field and off the field as well. And I think that's probably a good place for this podcast to end. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.